0: Hello, it's Josephine here, and welcome to another episode of Studio Biz and All That Jazz. Uh, Today's a little bit of a treat. I've got a very special guest on today, which you're about to meet in just a few moments. His name is Dr. Shane Branston. Now, I actually met Shane probably about a year ago, was at the Junior Theatre Festival in Newcastle, Australia. Uh, He's one of the founders of that event, and it is It's super mega. (laughs) Uh, It's the largest of its kind here in Australia. And, yeah, it's just a celebration of young musical theatre artists, the studios that are involved and the production companies that are involved in putting on these particular, you know, show titles. Uh, My Musical Makers Club is very much a part of that. It was our first time attending though last year, And I have to say it was a wonderful experience. Uh, The reason I brought Shane onto the show was because he reached out to me just a couple of weeks ago, whatever it was, uh, to to be a speaker at this year's Junior Theatre Festival, which I'm really, you know really excited to do. Uh, I get to speak to other studio owners and teachers. So they have a professional development workshop as well, Uh, not just for the students, which is the two-day event, but also for, yeah, like I said, the studio owners, the business owners and the teachers. So I'm going to be presenting for them on the day, which is this weekend. And it's come by so quickly, so quickly. And then I thought, Hey, Shane, Hey, Dr. Shane, why don't I get you on my podcast? Now, he's going to be talking about a a variety of things, including his PhD, uh, where he did a study of the theatre industry with some insight into different business models, as well as audience behaviours, which was really interesting. Uh, He'll also be talking about JTF, which is the Junior Theatre Festival, and the benefits of doing overseas tours, uh, these sorts of topics. But there's lots of discussion points. I think you're going to be uh, really intrigued once you have a listen. Now, Shane is an actor, director and educational specialist based in Australia. He has directed several pilot productions for iTheatrics New York, contributing to the development of new Broadway junior shows. Recent pilots include Dot and the Kangaroo Junior, 2021, Hans Christian Anderson Junior, 2020, and the Big One O Online Edition 2020. Now, we probably all remember being online, right, <laughs> um, which was a very interesting time. At the time, I, you know, created uh, Peter Pan Breaks the Internet and that was our online production. So I know that online space very well. It was a very, very interesting time for musical theatre and studios and all sorts of, you know, artistic programs where we had to work virtually. But I do remember Big One O Online and that was a very cool production process. I had a couple of students a part of that, so that was very cool. Now, prior to founding Oz Theatrics, Shane was a teacher and drama lecturer at the University of Newcastle, where he completed his PhD in communications and media arts, specialising in the ecology of the theatre industry. He is the Artistic Director of the Newcastle and Hunter Combined Schools, Anzac Service, and President of the City of Newcastle Drama Association. So, yeah, lots going on there (laughs) for Shane. Um, so, very interesting chat, and I reckon we just jump into it. This is going to be a good one. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to Studio Biz and All That Jazz. I'm your performing arts business coach and host, Josephine Lancuba. This show is designed to bring you inspiration, information, and the instruments you need to create and grow the studio biz of your dreams. I will bring you a mix of solo episodes as well as interviews where I tap into the minds of industry experts. My career started as a performer over two decades ago. I later became a speaker, theatrical producer and talent manager, as well as having a successful teaching career in singing, drama and dance. Ten years into my professional journey, I became a mummer of two and with a baby on my hip opened up my very own performing arts studio. From hardship and humble beginnings to four studio locations and a multi-six-figure performing arts biz, I know how to attract students and keep them coming back for more. And in the show, I will share with you my experiences to help you thrive and fast-track your path to success. I know you have a spark inside of you with dreams and goals for the future. As your coach and mentor, I'm here to help you step into your limelight and be a cheerleader in your ear each and every week. So get ready to be entertained and inspired as we talk studio biz and all that jazz. Hello and welcome Dr. Shane Branston to studio biz and all that jazz. Thank you so much for
1: being here. Hello, thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) Now I uh, met you, well, we've chatted online, but I also met you last year at the Junior Theatre Festival and there's so much that you do. Some of the stuff I mentioned in the intro, but what I would love for you to do is let everyone know what it is that you do in this world and then we'll start backtracking soon but I want everyone to know who are you and what what does Shane do?
1: Sure um, well uh, I'm a performer and uh, director I call myself a theatre maker but I'm also an educator and um after graduating from a drama uh, degree in arts, I became a school teacher and I loved that role. Uh, I did that for 12 years and um, became an executive within the Department of Education, which was wonderful. Um, and then I sort of started this side hustle a few years before I retired from teaching, and uh, it was all focused on the Junior Theatre Festival as well as um, my company, which is Travel Game which is a company that specialises in taking students overseas on performing arts trips. So um, I still get to work with students all of the time, but I also get to travel and I get to to work at all of the five different junior theatre festivals around the world, Atlanta, Sacramento, Auckland, Birmingham, and the one here in Australia. So I kind of feel at the moment that I have the best job in the world.
0: Yeah, you sound like you really do. That is so amazing. Now, you mentioned that you're, a, are you still a performer or you were a performer? Take me through that that journey. Like, how did you actually start uh, your acting career or, you know, yeah. where did it all begin?
1: Well, I think I was one of those students where in the, late 80s early 90s they thought that anyone that was um loud and perhaps a little flamboyant should do speech and drama lessons and so i started when i was five years old and um then uh i did a lot of drama through high school and um then i studied drama at university and was always involved in community theater which is the it really is the heart of our industry and which um, coincidentally later led led to me completing my PhD uh, in a field which includes the community arts in Australia. But um, then I actually uh, undertook a uh, contract with an agent, a talent agent, when I was at university. And like all young artists, I did the constant audition after audition and um, was also creating my own work on the side. I, I believe that um, to be successful in our industry you have to be multi-skilled. I was stage managing, I was doing professional lighting gigs, um, I was doing a lot of, I uh, sort of fell a lot into theatre and education and was doing a lot of, um, uh, gr- I had a lot of great paid gigs doing theatre in schools and uh, during school holidays for small pro-am companies and things like that but when I, when I became a full-time teacher that sort of became a little bit more limiting in terms of having the agent they like you to be able to be at the audition, you know, the day after they call you. Oh, and, drop of a hat, yeah. Oh, yes. Um, and also, you know, uh, acting is really great. I particularly love stage acting, but when you're going to those um casting calls for like a TV commercial and you're in the room with 50 other blokes that look like Calvin Klein models um you know I sort of got the inkling that that was not about talent and that um you know my creative um, juices were were better squeezed elsewhere. And uh, so you know, being a teacher was really wonderful. And uh, but I still perform. Um, just last year, I was in a fabulous production um, of Chicago, and I got to play the MC, which is always you know how you have those dream roles that you come across. Um, so yeah, I still do a little from time to time. But with with the travel at the moment. Um, since COVID, now everything is picking back up. A lot of schools are, are asking us to take them overseas. I just got back from a wonderful drama trip with the Cranbrook School. Uh, we took fifty of their boys to Japan for a week of. Uh, we were doing Butoh workshops. We were doing Kabuki, um, traditional no Japanese theatre, and mm. then um, we actually we actually dragged them to London, which was amazing. And they did Complicité and Frantic Assembly workshops and Shakespeare. Globe and it was um, really, really fun. But sort of at the moment, um, I think I need to take a break from performing to um, to have room for these other things.
0: Yeah, totally. When you go on these trips, I mean, I know that it's very much youth-focused events that you're organising, but do you get to participate or is it just too hectic and that's not on the agenda?
1: Oh yeah and, and it's wonderful professional development personally not just as a performer but as um, a teaching artist as well. So mm. you know I'm in the room with with other fabulous teaching artists. I, I can't speak you know highly enough about the team from Frantic Assembly in London and the great physical theatre that they do which is a passion of mine. Um, so it's wonderful getting to learn from them along the way.
0: Yeah, what a great experience! Uh, look, I'm I'm actually a talent agent, so I get what you mean when you just circling back when you talk about the commercial space, and I I think it's so lucrative the um you know commercial space for actors, but at the same time I do know what you mean. Like you sit in a room and and there's Calvin Klein models in the lineup, and you do realize, oh geez, I do recall. I remember I got a bit part in a major television series many years ago. And I, you know, I've studied all these years for acting, and this was my first gig. And honestly, I'll never forget it because I walked away feeling like total shit. Um, They got me to be in underwear and a t shirt. And I had to say, hey, John, you know, (laughs) to bed or something. And this was, and that was it. And I remember standing on set going, I feel like I've trained for 10 years to say this one line in my underwear and it's not I feel like I just don't feel good this doesn't feel good
1: yeah and and I guess the the great thing though is that industry is broad yeah. and though there are those gigs particularly tvc's that rake in a lot of money for you as a performer and that's great to keep you going to yeah. fuel your other interests um but being able to um uh create your own work, you know, write your own cabarets and take them on the road and be able to direct stuff and um, teach as well. Like it just it allows you to, um, you know, have a fulfilling career that's not just focused in one area, which is Yeah,
0: and I do love that. And I and I actually say that to my clients often, create your own opportunities, create your own, you know, professional performance company. Create your own work. And, and I do think that is so valuable.
1: Now, and Don't I'm... be afraid to hang a light. Uh, I think it was you. You reached out to me not too long ago, um, you know, uh... Every corner of Australia at the moment is desperate for stage crew yeah. and, you know, we're getting calls up here in Newcastle saying, can you please send people to Sydney to crew? We'll pay $500 a day. We'll put them up in accommodation. They're just so desperate and um, and that's a great side hustle as well as, you yeah, know. Yeah, and together. it's so
0: fun too. Like I do th- uh, stage management and things like, and I love it. Like it's, it's actually really cool and it keeps your... You know, it keeps your finger in it a little bit as well, and I think it, it keeps you connected to industry. There's nothing wrong with that. Picking up the odd job in that in that way. Um, I am interested to hear about your studies. Um, you mentioned you have a, a you know PhD, and it's not often we have an actor that has doctor in their title. So I want to hear a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about that. And, you're, and you've and you studied um, the theatre industry and ex- explored different business models. I mean, that all sounds very interesting. I must admit, I'm not a university graduate.
1: Yeah. So
0: walk me through what that looked like.
1: Well, um, there, there are a few different ways to approach a PhD. You can undertake creative projects. Um, I have um, a very close friend right now who's writing a screenplay um, or a screen series Mm. for her PhD. And um, she's a wonderfully accomplished um, playwright. So her project is creative. I've I've had other friends undertake like creating documentaries and things like that. But the other um, option is to create um, a research-based theoretical style PhD which um, involves a thesis. And uh, my area of study was essentially creating an ecology of the theatre industry. And um, from my observations as a practitioner in the industry, particularly sort of at producer level, understanding how governments create policy around our industry, how they fund our -hmm. industry support um, through, you know, provision of performing arts space and, um, and was trying to look at an understanding of how, you know, there is a sense within the industry that we feel undervalued, um, particularly Absolutely. yeah, particularly after having some you know a, quite a period of um, conservative governments at federal level, where you know every time that there was fiscal uh, cuts to the budget, it always seemed to be in the arts, and it and it filtered through to education as well, the university degrees in humanities, the TAFE system the creative um uh arts programs at tafe so i sort of my phd really started as a gripe at a gripe that we didn't have enough support as an industry compared to say this sort of wonderful um haitian period in the 80s and 90s that, that where there were professional theater companies every in every regional town in australia that were sort of no longer there so um I started this project and the university actually invited me to come on board to complete it as a PhD. And what I looked at was um, how do we value not just the economic um, output of the arts industry because that's what governments seem to constantly look at. And try in the gig economy, it's very hard to sort of um, quantify all of the employment that's offered, um, and including value adding as well, like the restaurant that's next to the theatre. How much money are they making off the theatre and the, the industry that is associated with with their establishment by proximity? So I actually developed a model um, because I saw that most most governments were just purely looking at economic capital. So I developed a a model for assessing the condition of the arts industry by also considering cultural capital, um, uh, social capital and symbolic capital as well. So um, learning about the added benefits of theatre as an art form to the wider population, not just the dollar figure. And something else that was quite um, unique about my research to date is that um, most research in our field does not include community theatre. And uh and I did because I, as I mentioned earlier, I do think it's the heartbeat of the industry. And there's still employment generated by community theatre and the role that it plays in terms of cultural capital um, and social capital in our society is is really, really valuable. You know, whether you're a whether it's participants that we're adding to the value of their life because they come and participate and they get to sing and they get to form a community. Um, you know in their area and invite their friends along and you know come and watch us perform and and have this sense of purpose in their life
0: yeah, how, you love know that.
1: How, how do you value that imagine imagine a, an australian society where we didn't have um that to feed into so many people's lives and yeah so that's what my research looked at
0: (laughs) I really I really love that and I think it's so important to look at the cultural aspects as well I mean obviously financially I understand that you know governments uh, looking at it from a financial point of view and it is fine it can be very lucrative Um, it's it's disheartening when they don't value it but the cultural impact you know society impact is huge and it isn't just the people participating, it's not just about the artists, it's the audience, it's the it's the community. Um And even just finding, you know, I didn't think of it that way when you talk about and the restaurant benefits and that place benefits. It's so, so Oh, yeah.
1: I think every hardware store in Australia is somewhat (laughs) supported by their local theatre company buying paint and all of the hardware needed (laughs) to constantly build sets. And when you look at community theatre, they have huge turnovers in shows. The the show doesn't perform for six months. It performs for two or three weeks and then two weeks later, there's another show. And um, and um, so they're constantly building new sets.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. I do love that. And look, even when I think of it from my, my children's perspective, you know, as a mum, I've got a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. Now, my daughter's a, a participant. She likes to be in the art. My son, I try and I try, but he's just not interested. But he loves being in the audience and I underestimated how much he values that experience because one show, because I produce shows all the time within my, you know, my musical theatre youth group. And, you know, there's one show I didn't take him to and he got so mad at me. He's like, how could you not? I just didn't realise you loved it so much. And recently we have like a reading challenge at home and we've got a rewards chart and they get to choose their reward for reading and he said, Mum, can we go to the Opera House if we finish our reading challenge? And I went, oh, we sure can. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, yeah. my job here is done. He doesn't yeah. want to be in it but he loves to experience it and he's six. I think that's really magical. Absolutely.
1: Well, and they're the lives that we enrich. I remember doing a show in my early 20s and we sort of did this uh, small regional tour and we went through um, the Illawarra Performing Arts Centre and then we sort of had a, a two-part tour. We came, we came back there like a few months later and mm. performed like an extended season. And this patron came to me at the stage door and gave me a bottle of wine. And she said, I came to see you a few months ago and I wanted to come again because you know I'm having some troubles in my life at the moment. And for the for the two and a half hours of your show, I can completely forget about my troubles. And that's the that's the joy that we bring or the escapeism that we bring um, t- to everyone. So you know, my my PhD was to advocate for more funding for the industry. It was also supposed to be you know useful to theater companies and, and looking at the different business models. Um, you know, there are a lot of different options and so many businesses, um, you know, when they're looking at, because essentially in, in my research, half of the the, the 48 theatre companies that I surveyed were at financial risk of closure, half, 50% yeah. of them, which is <laughs> kind of scary. So looking at business models that work and um, perhaps, you know, companies that need to evolve as well. Um, uh, so what at, works?
0: Tell me. Well, what works. well.
1: <laughs> Well, it's interesting, you know, because I believe my personal theory is that there's there's kind of three broad categories of people that like to perform or create or theatre makers. They are the people that are doing it solely um, for community theatre, which is their vocation, it's what they love, um, it keeps them going. And then you have um, a subset of people who are so passionate about creating art uh, it's less, uh, it, it's entirely focused on um, the love of the audience. You know, these are the people that create experimental work. They're the people that write their own work. They're usually more smaller indie uh, people. And it's usually the quality is very high, but they don't have a huge commercial following because it's um, it's original work. There's no sort of title branding equity. You know, they're not performing the next big Mamma Mia out are Creating work, um, and then you have the other subset, which is the the people that are doing it for their occupation, and they do get forced into the commercial world of things. And so, the the interesting part was to be financially successful. Um, my da- my research data looked right, looked across the at quite a few things but in terms of things like marketing for example the theater companies that indicated that they spend 15 to 20% of their budget on marketing were much better off than the companies that didn't have the capacity to do that mm-hmm. so um, you know there are a lot of creatives who spend so much time creating the work and the costumes and the and the set designs and all of that that they almost need another person to sell, remember to sell the tickets.
0: 100%. It's
1: the business of show business that sometimes gets in the way of, of people's success. Um, in, uh, youth theatre companies, particularly in terms of being able to support their establishment by having weekly workshops and things like that.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly what I do. So I started off very much about the art. <laughs> yep. And uh, and I, and I feel as though now it is, it is commercial. I love it. It doesn't change it. it, it you know, it's just different. It um, is. You know, I'm you not at the pick, festival. You have
1: to pick the show that you're doing. And, and sometimes you might have to do a commercial type title to allow you to do something more experimental.
0: Mm-mm, absolutely. I mean, look, I've had my days where I've Performed at the Fringe Festival to, with an original work to a room of twenty people, and I've just loved it. I've, I've, I've just been so engaged in that process, and it felt really rewarding. Even though there's twenty people in a tiny club room, you know what I'm talking about, yep. Fringe Festival style. Uh, done, did that for years, and yeah, now it's very much commercial. But for me, it really needs to be because there comes a point. I mean, I I tell this story, uh, you know, quite a few times, but, you know, when I was pregnant with my first child and I was still like, you know, gigging and all that sort of thing. And I was, I think I was four months pregnant. And that's when I say when I was four months pregnant, I hung up my microphone because I just couldn't do it anymore. Like not, not just because I had kids, but I got I was tired. I was yeah. over it. And I, and I think there comes a point where I'm like, I need to make money from this. I can't keep doing it this way. Yeah. So that's when I went commercial, actually, when I had my, my daughter six months on my hip. I'm like, I'm going to sell art. I'm going to create stuff. I'm going to run programs and workshops and create shows, but for the marketplace, yeah. you know, with an educational purpose. Yep. That is sold to schools, or you know, and I was very, very strategic from that point on because I felt like I needed to be. And I don't regret it for a second. I think I had had fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's still fun. It's just different fun.
1: And and that's really smart because they the process of understanding your audience, like building an audience to begin with, if you're a theater company, um, building your audience, understanding and keeping up to date data on what they like, what they want to see, so that you're producing work that you don't have to try to sell too hard, you know, Mm -hmm. work that they will naturally come to see. Uh, And each theatre company is completely different in that. And they, they really need to understand their audiences and maintain those relationships with with those audiences. So there's something we talk about, which is title equity. And it basically, um, you know, I referred to Mamma Mia before, people know what it is. It's on their list of top favorite whether it's the ABBA, whether it's um, off the film, whether it's off the regional or the the Australian national tour, things like that, Um, you know, and I've I've had great conversations with Stuart Hendricks from MTI, who um, is the licensing holder of that show, and he says there's never been an unsuccessful production of Mamma Mia. So um, that's one of the biggest challenges for producers in in selecting a title that... um, you know, you're doing yourself a favour by because it will sell itself.
0: I really like that you've called it title equity because I I have, I I mean, I know it and I understand it and I do it, but I haven't uh, coined a phrase for it. So I've written that down because I do love that. It was a great honour to be invited as a guest speaker on the Professional Development Day at Junior Theatre Festival 2023 here in Australia, where I talk about unlocking the key to student loyalty and great retention in your studio is. Now to celebrate, I created something that I think not just the participants of the event will benefit from, but something that you can also enjoy at home. I've created a student re enrollment and retention checklist, which is absolutely free and yours to download all you need to do is go to the link in the show notes or head to josephelancuba.com forward slash checklist one. In there, I cover the 10 core ways to retain students between enrolment seasons and terms, covering areas of great planning, community engagement, workshop and event strategies, effective communication, marketing techniques, and more to download your student reenrollment and retention checklist. Head to the link now. Okay, back to the show. You know what's interesting is a lot of people listening to this show are performing arts studio owners, not just theater, not just musical like we're talking dance and everything. But do you know what? You can they they run themed shows. So that title equity can actually be used in a different way. Like if we're talking about, you know, back to the 80s and then you use famous artists like David Bowie or whatever, I'm just talking now. But you get my point. You can actually use that in your marketing, you know, instead of try a ballet class. It's like come be like come be in our David Bowie spectacular. You know what I mean? Like we're going to have a routine to that we're going to have a routine to, you know, we're going to bring back the music from Greece or whatever. And I understand licensing, but we're not talking about that. But you get my point. Like you can actually use title equity in any studio environment if it's a themed showcase event. So that's actually really interesting.
1: Well, something that probably because there are so many different aspects um, to my research, but something that might be particularly um, important for studio owners, like you're talking about, their dance studios, et cetera, is there was um, a common um, misconception within the industry participants that the media, the free media, like editorial media, um, you know, news channels, radio, print media, that they're not supportive of the arts, you know, and there's mm-hmm. a constant argument mounted that, you know, why is there so much sport in the newspaper every single day but but not enough art? And um, <clears throat> through my research in, in the field that, that I looked at, which was um, the greater Newcastle region, um, it was a misconception because the the obstacle there was that those studios and those companies weren't actually creating media releases um, by someone that has experience as a publicist and and a network within the um, media industry to send it to. Like, Essentially, the essence was studio owners expected that, you know, news stories would just come to them. And the reality is um, anyone that uses um, a proper professional publicist and you can get them cheap or they might work pro bono might be one of the parents in your dance school that is a publicist that has all of the email addresses of all of the media outlets and knows how to put together a newsworthy story like there has to be an angle that's Mm. going to attract the news and that's what publicists are good at they will do that work for you and it's not as simple as them emailing it they'll email it and then they'll get on the blower and they'll be ringing following up did you see this media release i sent you have you thought of this etc and they do the work for you to get that that media support and the editors that i interviewed basically said like that's the professional procedure to get stuff in the news and, and um, they're
0: craving it they wanted they want stuff you yep. know and it's not an it's not a flat advertisement of course it needs to be you know something interesting to grab yep. the attention of the editor or whoever is in charge. But I, I actually just wrote that down to you. I love these ideas. I tell you, um, <laughs> be proactive when it comes to media and publicity. I mean, I know this for my own personal self as a personal brand, mm. and I pay a digital marketer for my studio business. Yep. And I talk to my clients about paid marketing, but I actually love that you've inspired me to think about reframing that and how I can support my clients by actually getting them into the press. Mm. That is so clever and so simple and something that you're absolutely right. Studios yeah. don't do it. Uh, we're talking about 0.05% mm. here yeah. that you might see. Oh, wow, they're on, um, they're dancing on, you know, the morning show. Yeah.
1: Like and you the see Mickey
0: Webster Studio and people with those sorts of brand yeah, names, right? Yeah. Because they've got a name. Yeah. And but the people's always that do got a studio forefronted.
1: And the people that do use professional publicists get heaps of traction from it. They'll get front pages in in magazines and newspapers or, you know, on the morning show mm-hmm. or whatever. you it's it's a no-brainer.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting, too, because people will assume that you need to be a Nikki Webster. And for anyone listening overseas, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) Nikki Webster's like the golden child of Australia who sang the national anthem at uh, the Sydney Olympics, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, she was like a lead performer in the opening. Yeah, and
0: that's how she became locally famous. So to us, she's locally famous and we grew up with her as a household name. She started a music career in Australia and now she runs very successful studio businesses so if you're yeah. listening Nikki we've met nice
1: <laughs> very generous with with her time and her celebrity as 100%. well you know? and that you don't that's need to another... be
0: Nikki that's the yeah. point you don't need to be Nikki to get in the papers but you do need a little bit of an edge and something to intrigue them
1: but that's right. a good tip too because having um an ambassador for your studio is something that's also worthwhile i saw that there um is a wonderful um the youth theatre company called Fantasia Showstoppers out yes. in uh, Richmond, I think yes. they are, Windsor, Richmond area, and they just had ja, uh, Jay Lagaya come and uh, work with them and um, run a, a workshop with their students and and sort of become this ambassador on social media for what the goals that they're trying to achieve there. And that's a great way to get media publicity as well.
0: Yes, leverage off star power. And you can absolutely and local local stars, we're not talking, you know, you don't have to get Nicole Gidman in, but you can get some really cool people that have a little bit of an edge when it comes to getting you into the press. Yeah. That is clever. Now <laughs> actually let's talk about that. So um press releases with the Junior Theatre Festival, I know. Uh, Because I've been a part of it. And last year, um, my Musical Makers Club won the um, Outstanding Vocal Award, hoot hoot. Um, (laughs) It was our first time there and we won the award. We actually couldn't believe it. Like, oh, yeah, it's amazing. But um, (laughs) so that was really exciting. So we're back again this year. Um, But you guys did actually have that press focus, that media focus. To help support the studios, you had a couple of, you know, local celebrity names. I think it was Paulini last season. And you you got to go backstage as the winner and take these press release professional photos. And then you sent out basically a template of how you can send that pitch to your local press. And I thought that was really great because I think a lot of people do struggle with knowing how to word that. So is what what was the purpose in in relation to that like are you seeing that is that something inspired from other events or you guys came up with that or, or well it's um, actually like...
1: the, the philosophy befo- behind the Junior Theatre Festival Australia and uh the Junior Theatre Festivals worldwide the philosophy is that it's actually not a competition this is not Dance Mums um we encourage everybody to to come in, and it's a celebration of of youth youth musical theatre. But what we understand is important is building music theatre programs across Australia is essentially our goal. Um, So what we know, and this is particularly relevant in the United States where the festival started, um, theatre companies compete for funding. They compete for attention. Um, They compete for enrolments. And the whole concept is that we don't think any theatre company will have funding cut if they are proving that they're doing great things on a national level. So the whole point about coming to the Junior Theatre Festival is that you get that opportunity to be acknowledged for something wonderful that your group achieved um, and then you get some great photos and a press release for you to share in your local area, so that you can keep building the profile of your theatre company wherever you're from. Um, so that's kind of the philosophy behind it. And um, so we it, we follow that model from the United States, and we have um, we have our own publicists here in Australia though, because they're very different. The United States media releases are so waffly and. Um, We learnt quickly that Australian news outlets aren't interested in them, so we have our own publicist who drafts those and and provides those templates to each group so that, you know, you can go back and celebrate and get in your local news um, because that will, I presume, help you um, retain your students. It will help you get um, more students. We have found that with the Junior Theatre Festival Festival Now, we have dance studios, we have, um, you know, drama, theatre ensembles come, and we have found that it's actually helped each studio almost add a product to what they sell. So um, a lot of them will run their junior theatre festival troupe as a class for the term, and they'll spend the whole term creating their performance to bring to the festival for adjudication. And so they'll obviously charge their weekly rehearsal
0: fees. That's what we do. We actually do it as a workshop series. So we do it as a four workshop series, and then they get to perform, Um, and these are quite lengthy. Like these are three-hour blocks. Um, so that's how we actually do it and we charge for it as an additional service so it's actually been an additional revenue stream for our studio and it should be because it's a lot of time and effort um and honestly the uptake You know, at first I wasn't sure because we have to charge a few hundred dollars for the education side, but then they buy a ticket to the festival, which is totally reasonable. Um, But then if they, because we're in Sydney, it's in Newcastle, people have to buy accommodation. And I would have thought that, you know, maybe people weren't going to be interested in that. Maybe it was too much, but I was surprised. The uptake has been really positive. People love it. We've got kids coming back from last season. Um, It's been a really positive experience. And like you said, it's not dance mum's. It is very much about the community and the education. So the adjudication part was just really one small part Mm. of what is a much larger event. So, you know, we had everything from the workshops and then the kids got to actually watch some of the more um, the pilot kids performing. So they get to watch some stage production works and you know there's a stage presentation, and there's you know all this stuff. there's a disco, like there's a lot going on. yeah, and I just thought that was really, really cool. And why they, did um, you why did you choose um to focus on youths more so than a like adult training? What was the focus? Um,
1: Well, I mean, we we do have we have professional development for teachers as um, uh, a part of the festival, and there. Yes, and I'll be speaking at that. Just yeah, you will. You're presenting this year. That'll be fabulous. So
0: excited. Um,
1: We have, so this year, like it's a completely sold-out festival for us this year, students as well as teachers. We've got, I think, 110 teachers coming. Some of those are bringing groups and some are just coming for the professional development. We have um, international, they call them clinicians. I always find that such a... sort of scientific vibe but um I call them teaching artists um we have some from Broadway coming we have some from West End coming we have some from different parts of the states um New Zealand we have local presenters as well coming um so it's sort of a one-stop shop for professional development but in terms of um you know, the, the the whole festival is a celebration of youth music theatre mm-hmm. and it's the biggest one in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, it really just came about because um, in 2015, I attended the festival in Atlanta with a group of students and there are 6,800 students at this festival for three days. Wow. And it is like the most energising experience festival experience that you could have and um again, not a competition. It's this complete vibe of celebration and inclusivity, you know, and they have the most um amazing celebrity performers there, you know, um uh people of all walks of life and abilities. And um, you know, they they have big draw cards too, you know. Zach Efron came, I think, the year that I went, and uh, Darren Chris, and and each year, and it sort of is attached to um all of the junior shows, you know, the Little Mermaid Jr., Annie Jr. Um, So there's a relationship between those products and the festivals. And we had just done one of those shows and saw on the back of the script there's this festival in Atlanta. So we had no idea what we were going to and we went to it with I think about 60... 60 uh, students and their parents. And um, and we just went, Australia needs one of these. So um, the co-producer Daniel Stoddart and I flew back to New York and met with um, the producers of the festival. At that point in time, there was only one and it was Atlanta. And then Australia became the second festival. And now there's another one in Sacramento, Birmingham and Auckland, which is really cool. That is so amazing.
0: How many people I know? Um, we're a smaller market, obviously, being in Australia. But um, how many like people do you get registered for these events here in the Southern Hemisphere?
1: Yeah. So um, this year we're up to about it's close to fourteen hundred for our festival. Oh, wow, that's this so year.
0: amazing.
1: Yeah, and that includes students, parents, and um, and you know all of their choreographers, directors, music directors. That and this is
0: all- been Newcastle. Just saying, right? Like- <laughs> It's yeah. not Sydney, and it's not you know. This people travel to this.
1: Yeah. Place. Oh I mean. yeah. And th- that was a really you know we talk about business models. That was an integral um, part of deciding where where to host a festival like this. And when we spoke to them in New York, um, they said you know we don't host a festival in New York. We have it in Atlanta because you need a permit to cross the road in New York. And with, you know, 6,000 kids that they have at their festival, it's just not achievable. So the capital cities sometimes aren't the best places for these um, type of events where, um, you know, there's too much regulation or too expensive as well in terms of venue right. then you hire.
0: Venue um, hire alone, forget it. It's Yeah, lit- and
1: um, we we looked at all of the data again. Um, we did our research. MTI shared their data with us of, um, where all of the postcodes are for people that were staging productions. And um, I think at the time there were about 500 um, junior productions every year in Australia. It's now like tripled um, since we started. But um, most of those were on the east coast of Australia. So we kind of went east coast, um, Newcastle, great regional airport, can fly in from anywhere in Australia, train line from Sydney. And um, yeah, it's really built to be something awesome.
0: Yeah, I love that so much. Now, I know, like you said, you're doing it locally, in, you know, Newcastle, amazing. Um, tell me about the overseas stuff. You yep. you actually bring people overseas. Is that the yeah. travel gang?
1: Yeah, it is. Um, so travel gang, basically, that that trip that I said I first went on in 2015, which introduced us to the festivals, we used a travel agent to book the group travel and we just had a really, really terrible experience. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was a deputy principal in um, the school system and I'd organised overseas trips with music ensembles and things like that. And I was quite disappointed that um, the travel agents did such um you know a poor job of it and I and Daniel and I said we could do this better ourselves and we sort of created travel game from there and through our affiliation with the festival we started to get groups that um are part of the JTf family wanting to go to other festivals around the world and we started to coordinate that travel for them but now it's grown into something much bigger and we're essentially the only um group tour operator that is run by people that have expertise in the arts. So, you know, um, that Japan trip I've just come back to, we we did a Butoh workshop with Kankatsura, who is the poster boy of Butoh dance you know um and when we spoke to some people about wanting to do a workshop with him people literally laughed at us and said he's a celebrity you'll never get him um but we did because I had a chance to sit down and have a cup of tea with him and we talked about the philosophy of of art and butoh as a you know um postmodern surrealist um dance and and what the power of that is and so you know when i when i um we have a lot of schools now contact us for overseas travel it's become really a competitive product can i say in the world of studios as well as um, private schools um the they're using it as not only is it really visible, like you get great marketing collateral out of you know a picture of your kids at uh you know doing workshops in Disneyland or you know doing high kicks down Fifth Avenue in New York City. Um, but it's yeah, it's sort of become this great um competitive product and it, it shows your community that you're offering more opportunities um, than what anyone has ever sort of experienced before. So we're now doing, yeah, as I said, a lot of private schools. we do a lot of trips um, to New York, a lot to the West End um, and uh, and we're working with American groups. We're working with groups in um, New Zealand. Um, we're taking groups from the festivals to other festivals and it's just um, it's kind of really exploded, which is great fun.
0: That is so amazing. Do you go on all the trips? Like, are you actually on the
1: road? Um, I'm usually on the road, but we because um, school holidays are popular, and we will usually have like three school groups each school holidays doing trips. So, um, but we have a full team, and everyone on our team of um, of guides that go on the trip, they're all actors, directors, um, writers, people that are in the industry, so they have a really clear understanding of. You've just done this workshop. Um, unpacking it, you know, when you leave with the kids and and making those comparisons and saying, so we just did, um, you know, traditional Japanese no theatre with the mask work and then making a comparison with that and uh, Disney's Lion King designs by Julie Taymor and going, can you actually see the the correspondence here? She's taken Eastern theatre as an inspiration for her design work. So being able to really give the kids that, really deep level of learning from their trip um,
0: I want to be in the travel gang
1: <laughs> yeah right well yeah we always need great great enthusiastic people. Yeah, um, something, I, something I would just, Let me
0: know <laughs> Something
1: I would add on that I've had two um, academies this year um, come back and tell me that they advertised that they were doing a trip. they kind of advertised publicly on their social media and they had phone calls from people that weren't part of their studio wanting to join. So um it's it's interesting that that's proving to be an extra draw card for for people as well.
0: Yeah, I love that so much. Well, we're coming towards the end of the show um but I have a, a couple of final questions to ask you because I love to ask this to my guests and I'd love to hear what your thoughts are but how do you define success? What does it mean to you?
1: Um, success needs to be, uh, self-fulfilling, um, and you can't achieve the feeling of success without setting goals and working hard to achieve them. So success starts with setting a goal, um, and then developing sort of backwards mapping strategies on how you're going to achieve that goal. And there needs to be short-term goals and long-term goals, but you definitely don't feel success unless you undertake that process.
0: Mm, yeah. So, you sound like a planner. <laughs> I am too. I am, and I do believe that you know we can dream big, but without you know a good plan and taking action, that we just we just you know we won't get there. And the truth is, as well, success can evolve. So you know you might have a goal, but like you said, short term, long term goals, and that's really important to, to to define. There are different paths to success as well. Yep. You know. What's been one of the most successful things that you've created? Do you think?
1: Um, probably. Uh, oof, that's a big question, isn't it? Like having the having the ability to inspire other people, um, particularly the young students that we get to work with, and um, it's not something that I achieve on my own. We say that we're here to help you inspire your students and. Being in New York, walking with a group of theatre kids who have just spent the last year and a half fundraising for their trip and getting jobs and getting them to live their dream for the first time at the yellow cabs and the fire escapes and the steam coming out of it, like getting to be there with them to, to see how it opens their eyes to the world and it shows them that their goals are achievable. You know, the kids mm-hmm. that we deal with want to perform on Broadway. They're pretty serious about what they're doing. and getting to to be with them there and have the ability to experience that with them is so rewarding.
0: I love that. And I love that you're inspiring so many people, but who or what inspires you? um
1: i I think um, it's really, really important to have mentors. I've had I've been so lucky. There are there are young people, and I was probably one of them at a stage that just think that they already know everything uh, and aren't prepared to listen and learn from other people. But I would not um, have achieved hardly anything without having really solid mentors. Um, mm-hmm. So my advice to anyone listening would be: think about who your mentors are um, and or who you might like them to be. And it's an honour to be you know, when someone kind of approaches you and asks you questions or to be a mentor, um, learning from others, making mistakes, um, owning mm-hmm. your mistakes and um, and really appreciating, appreciating that because there are so many young people that I do get to work with as emerging artists who um, just think they know everything and yeah. aren't prepared to listen. And... Uh, and they're doing themselves a dis- disservice.
0: I think sometimes that comes with maturity in time as well. I know that when I was younger, I think I, I mean, I thought I knew a bit more than I probably did, to be honest. Uh, now, though, oh, I love to learn. And I have mentors. I have mentors that are both paid mentors and free mentors and complete right. And I'm happy to, um, I'm so grateful for those people in my life that are mentors that aren't you know, they're not coaches or paid people. They're just people that are, you know, mentors in my industry, in my life. But then I also am happy to invest in mentorship as well. And I think if you don't have a circle around you that can mentor you, you know, some people just don't have the network. They don't know how to find the network. There's nothing wrong with investing in that, but I do think it is absolutely essential. And it can be in the way of a podcast like this. It can be books. It can be like, it doesn't have to be, you know coaching or mastermind stuff, but it can but it can be um, accessible learning. But I definitely think spending time on that is so yeah. important.
1: So, We've got a great JTF family and this year we're introducing a new event which is for the teachers and we're calling it speed dating but the, the concept is for all of the teachers to get together and quickly introduce themselves and find out who's doing what show and what costumes do you have and 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 how we can support each other in, in a, a way of mentorship.
0: That's actually huge for everyone listening, musical theatre, costuming and, and props and sets because it's such an like imagine recreating the whole of the lion king right it's a big deal so if someone just did it two weeks ago only an hour's drive out from you and you know that you can hire those costumes and get access to them oh my goodness it's beautiful thing like for example we're doing frozen junior at the moment and our costume director is um she she knows all the musical um societies so she's like Going, they did Frozen last month. Yep, give them a call. Yeah, great. Yeah, we can loan the costumes. Oh, we have to hire them. That's fine. No problem. Great. Excellent. We'll grab that. We'll grab that. So good. Yep. You know, so that's that's actually really handy in your space. Um, so what's next? What's next for Dr. Shane? What's going to happen?
1: Um, we, uh, you know, we always look at in the head in a five-year plan. Um we uh you know we have a three year uh contract with the junior theatre Festival with the city of Newcastle, which is wonderful they They are a local government that value the arts and sponsor the arts and they want to remain the city host, so we have that agreement with them. Beyond that, we'll need to look at how the festival can grow um, because we'll reach our capacity within that particular space perhaps um, and whether that means that we still have it in Newcastle but the festival um, goes for longer and we might have, um, you know, school groups versus... um, uh, community groups at different times throughout the event tour or um you know or fringe
0: style you start yeah, yeah absolutely rolling it out into the other venues of the local area you know yeah
1: we we're in a lucky position at the moment where we've been able to scholarship um some opportunities for disadvantaged schools we want to do um, an Outreach program where we can provide um, some capacity building um, we've got a school in the um, Northern Territory that we're looking at that has a high Indigenous population, and we would love to work with them um, on some of their organic storytelling with their culture, um, you know, and uh, and see if we can try to give them opportunities to showcase what they're learning about as well. So we've got some goals. It always comes down to money, you know, but... Um, we, uh we, we're lucky at the moment to have some good corporate sponsors.
0: And theatre art is expensive. Yeah. <laughs> we do know it. Um, so how can people find you? Where's the best place for them to look you up?
1: Great. Well, um, the Junior Theatre Festival uh, website is oztheatrics, which is oztheatrics.com. We're also on social media, Junior Theatre Festival Australia, on Instagram or Facebook, and um, if you're interested in, adding a tour as a product to your dance studio and it might be the situation that you don't have enough within your studio but you're looking for a partner studio to perhaps do a combined tour with that might be from another city or something like that um, you can reach out to travelgain.com.au and uh, check out what's there but um, we'll pop all those links in the show notes as well great thank you
0: Yay. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, that's been really, really super awesome. And I cannot wait to be a presenter at the Junior Theatre Festival this month. I'm really looking forward to it. And, of course, bringing my gang down to so my my youth uh, performing arts kids. And, yeah, we're going to bring Frozen Junior. So that'll awesome. be fun too. Can't wait right. to see it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Shane. Thanks. Bye. This episode was brought to you by my signature group coaching program, Studio Biz Success, an amazing and accessible online educational platform for performing arts studio owners designed to help you grow your business with confidence and get your results. Check it out at josephinelancuba.com along with other great industry resources to help you leap into the studio biz you deserve. If you love this episode, be sure to share it with your friends. You can tag me on social media at josephinelancuba and give it a review. Your support helps the show to grow so I can continue to provide you with useful, informative content. I'm Josephine Lane Cuba, your biggest cheerleader. Thanks for listening and shine bright.